welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. We are starting a short two-part series, and I've entitled it Your Wonderful Life. And uh, this was birthed out of a funeral that I did just recently for my sister-in-law. As many of you are aware, Becca's sister Naomi uh, died when she was 50 years old. It was just a month ago. And uh, she had attended Sparkle, and while she was at the Sparkle conference, gave her life to Jesus Christ. She really rededicated and said, God, I come clean, I want to be close to you. Little did we know that a month later she would die. And at her funeral, I could tell you that we were so grateful that she got in on grace. And the title of my message was, Thank God She Got In On Grace. And I thank God that anyone can get on grace at any time. I don't care if it's your last breath. If you get on grace, I'm thankful for it. If you get in 20 years before you die, thank God for grace. Wherever it's at, thank God for grace. But something happened right before the funeral that disturbed me. Um, Somebody was talking to somebody else, and they said, you know, she did it right. She partied and lived it up, and then at the last possible minute, she said she was sorry and got in. She did it right. And I can tell you at that moment, my blood was boiling, And I wanted to go all Jesus and the money changer on him, you know. But I didn't. I refocused and got ready for the funeral. And I thank God for grace, but I'm telling you what, that is not the way to do it. That's the way to do it if that's your only option. And thank God if you find him on your deathbed. But it is not the way, and it's the wrong type of thinking to say, party, 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 live it wild, and at the last possible minute, get in on grace. That would be foolish thinking because you really don't know what tomorrow will hold. I used to think that it was sensationalism when an evangelist or a preacher would say, you have no idea what will happen when you leave this building. But it's been too real to me. It's been too real that people have left this building and within hours have lost their life in tragic accidents. It's real. It's not sensationalism. You do not control today. You don't control tomorrow. And it's foolish to say, I'll wait until someday to give my life to Jesus. If you feel the the tug of the Holy Spirit to give your life to Jesus, do not stiff arm God. Don't stiff arm him. You run to God. You go to him. You, You make that step. You don't wait. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. But when this person said that, it it just bothered me. Oh, she did it right. She partied up until the last moment and then got in on grace. And I know that some of you are even like, oh, I can't believe she said that. But think about it. A lot of people will say, why did I get saved so young? I've missed out on things. 
Maybe you've wondered it. Maybe you've wondered, what am I missing out on? Maybe you've wondered, like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I need a little rebellion to see what it's like or whatever. It's the wrong thinking. It's the wrong thinking. I got to let you know that I was saved at an early age. I was saved at the age of seven. I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade and gave my life to Jesus, and I lived for God my entire life. I have what I call my two weeks of rebellion. In those two weeks, I was kind of wondering if it was my faith or my parents' faith, and in my wicked rebellion, I remember somebody said, do you want to try a cigarette? And I thought, yeah, I'm being rebellious right now. (laughs) So I tried a puff of that cigarette. I started choking. I thought, I am not a smoker, all right? They said, well, maybe you'd like some chew instead. I was like, yeah, maybe I'm a chew person. I put it in, and within minutes, I threw up. I thought, I don't chew either. (laughs) In that two weeks of rebellion, somebody said, do you want to try some alcohol? And, you know, as a teenager, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I tried it. I thought, that's horrible. It tastes horrible. They said, well, don't worry. You acquire a taste for it. I said, well, no, thank you. I'll stick with pop, you know. And in that two weeks of rebellion, I dated a girl that didn't go to church, had no faith in Jesus. And at the end of the two weeks, I came to my parents' room in the middle of the night. I was just feeling so guilty. I was like, this is not the person I want to be. I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to do these things. And I went in and confessed those things in my rebellion. I said, for the last two weeks, I've done these things. I've been rebellious. Pray for me. I want to be right with God. And when I left their room, I'm sure they're thinking, man, we got an easy one there. (laughs) Good, good, yeah. See, the world would say to us, you're missing out. You're missing out. If you stay faithful to God and you stay in the church, you live for him for the long haul. If you get saved early, you're going to miss out. And they they show you the buzz, but they never show you the bottom. I'm telling you, because there is a buzz, but there is always a bottom. And the world doesn't show the bottom. But I'm telling you, you, you're not missing out. It's counterfeit. It's, you, we get suckered into something that is fool's gold. It's not the real thing. And you can't be lured away by it. And if you're, if you're there, if you're thinking, I don't know, maybe, a, I don't know if it's worth it to stay faithful. And I got in so early. Is there really value? I hope in this series you'll understand there's great value in knowing Jesus for a long time. At every one of our baby dedications, when we dedicate those children to the Lord, we pray over them. We say, God, may they know you at an early age. May they be saved from the harm of the world, the bottom. May they be saved from that. And may they know you at an early age and their testimony be that they served you their whole life because that's a great testimony. So this, this message is geared to those people that are here whose hearts sometimes are there, but your body's here. You see that? And you're conflicted because your heart wants to be there, but you're here, but you're not really here because you'd rather be there. Does that make sense? Okay, and so I'm hoping that you understand it is a wonderful life that you get to live. It's an amazing life that you get to live with Jesus. And the greatest story that I could give to start this out, and we'll build on this, is the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. We're going to read some of it, and I'm going to tell you the story. But Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. It's the greatest short story ever shared. It has inspired such incredible art. I can remember seeing Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. I was in the, in the Hermitage in uh, St. Petersburg, and we were in Russia, and we were there, and I saw Rembrandt's painting, and I just got caught up in it. 
And I just got closer and I was just caught up who's who in the story. And I was getting so close to this painting that I set off the little proximity alarm, you know? And this old Russian lady, Nyet! And I was like, I'm just looking, just looking, okay? I, just, I wasn't going to touch it, you know? It's amazing. And it really shouldn't be called the prodigal son story. It should be really called the parable of the loving father. Because if you know the story, the father represents God the father. The older son represents the Pharisees. And the younger son represents the Gentiles. Okay, so it's really something there that is, is a, a parable of the loving father. And Luke's the only one to record this. And he records with it the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, I won't go into all the details of it, but the lost sheep, it got lost because of its foolishness. The lost coin had nothing to do with being lost. It was just lost. I mean, how does a coin have any effect on whether it's lost or found? And the lost son chose to leave. And regardless of how they were lost, it doesn't matter. Jesus in the story, lost things need to be found. And that's the way this church has lived. Lost things need to be found. We need to find that which is lost and bring it to God. Now, in this story, we find it in Luke 15, 1 and 2, gives us the context. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's what's going on. They're wondering, why in the world does Jesus eat with sinners. And Jesus is basically wondering about them, why in the world are you not out there eating with sinners? Why are you not out there with me helping to bring them in? So here's the story. In case you don't know it, and if you do, this is just a summary of it. But Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. He says there was a dad that had two sons, an older son that appears to be obedient, a younger son that is rebellious. The younger son goes to his dad and says, give me my inheritance, which was his right to do, he was entitled to one-third of the inheritance because the older brother always got a double portion. So he gets one-third of the inheritance and says, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be around here anymore. I'm leaving home. Give me my inheritance. So the father gives him a third of the inheritance, and the young son goes off, leaves the home. And the Bible says that he wasted his inheritance on wild living. Now, we don't know what that is, but a lot of people have filled in the blanks, and you'll see that the older brother fills in the blanks of what wild living was. After a while, he runs out of money. No one's his friend anymore. And how many know sometimes when you run out of money, no one wants to be your friend? And he has nothing. He has, he's homeless. He has no job. He's trying to figure it out. So he goes to work for a guy that is a pig farmer, which was a total insult because Jewish people would have nothing to do with pigs because they were an unclean animal. So he's feeding the pigs, and as he's feeding the pigs, he spent all his money, he's broke, he's envying what the pigs get to eat, thinking, I'd like to dig in there and eat what they're eating. That's pretty low. And he starts to realize, even the servants in my father's house are treated better than I am right now. I'll go back and tell them I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just be a slave, a servant to them. And I'm sure that in that moment, as he's deciding that, Will I do this or won't I do this? I'm sure there was a battle going on in his mind. Because for the prodigal, in every prodigal's mind, there's the thought of, will I be accepted? Will I be welcome? Is it worth it? And I guarantee you the enemy yells at every prodigal, don't do it, don't go back, stay away, end it, end it. Don't go back in shame. End your life. Do anything but go back. But the prodigal takes the first step towards home. It's always the hardest. If you're a prodigal here, again, Welcome. 
welcome. The first step is always the hardest. And at the end of this service, you'll have an opportunity. There'll be people up here ready to pray for you. The prayer teams are here. It'll be a hard step to go forward. But I'm telling you what, as soon as you make the first step, they all get easier. They do. I can remember when Billy Graham was preaching and he said, do you want to come to the altar? And I was like, is he talking to me? I think he's talking to me. I think I'm a sinner. I think I need to go up there. And then the mind games, no, it's not you. Yes, it is me. I think it, you know, you're like going crazy. And then you start, you know, you can't, you know, you're trying to breathe. You're like, I think I'm going for it. I think I'm going to take the first step. Don't take the first step. You know, and all of a sudden you take it, it's like slow motion, like, and as soon as you take the first step, how many know the second step? Third, and all of a sudden I'm running because all of heaven was pulling me forward. Prodigal takes the first step and he starts going home. And it's interesting, the Bible tells us in Luke 15 that the father sees him in a distance, which tells me the father was always looking. And he sees him and he goes running to him. And for those of you that don't know, in Bible times, fathers didn't run because it was undignified. Because in order to run, you have to lift up your robe. And if you lift up your robe, you might expose yourself. You don't do that. That is undignified. But the dad doesn't even care. He's going to be undignified. I will greet my son. Then he cleans him up, gives him everything, and all the things that he gives him are symbolic of you're back in right standing here. You're back. You're, one of my, you're my boy. You're back. Okay? And that's where we pick up this because he's throwing a party, and we pick up the story in Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, notice how he fills in the blank, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What we have going on here that we want to focus on is older brother syndrome. Older brother syndrome that can sneak in on those that have been with Jesus for a long time. You've been in the church for a long time. You got to be on guard against older brother syndrome that you forget what it's all about. So let's take a look at this guy. In verse 25 and 26, he hears the music, he hears the dancing, he hears all this stuff going on. He's like, what do we got going on here? I didn't get the memo. I don't know what's going on. What's going on? Why is there a party? I didn't know there was a party. I was not informed of the party. Okay, and if I could just say this, one thing about a growing church, about a multi-site church, you will not always know what's going on. Okay, I guarantee you there'll be people that show up next week that didn't know about the service time change. How come I didn't know about that? Well, you've been gone the last couple of weeks, all right, you know? But they'll be upset, they'll be angry, and don't be angry, don't be angry. There's things that are going on around the church, I have no clue. I'm like, did we hire that guy? Does he work for us? I don't know who he is, all right. Just get over it, but he doesn't know and he's upset. What's going on here? How many know you don't want to be that servant? Hey, hey, what's going on here? What's, the, what's going on? And the servant, quick thinker, he goes, your brother has returned. Notice how he puts him in the story. He doesn't say your dad's son. He says, your brother returned. You should be happy. I'm out of here. All right, you know. (laughs) I love the wisdom that that servant has. So he goes there, and, and the Bible says that he makes himself conspicuous because he won't go in. How many know we're good at being conspicuous? Like we let people know what we're thinking with our body language. 
He's like, I'm not going in. And I, I just imagine this guy was probably doing this. He wasn't in the party. He was probably outside doing something like sweeping the porch. Like, I'm obedient. See, I'm the one cleaning the porch or stacking wood, you know, and be like, that's right. Obedient one stacking the wood inside party animal. Oh, yeah, we do it. I did it the other day and confessed in the other services, so I'll tell you too. But I was at the TSA line for the thing, and, you know, they were helping that line and then that line and that line, and they didn't help our line, and then they helped that line. And I'm thinking, like, what's going on here? So I did one of these things, like, what am I, am I invisible here? You know, kind of did that, and the agent goes, I'll be right with you. And then I felt like a jerk. And how many know you do that too, right? Yeah. And I feel a lot better sharing that. All right, so... So he refuses to enter, and he gets so jealous of it. And this is interesting. His jealousy keeps him from all the blessings that he should have enjoyed. He misses out on freedom. He misses out on community by not participating in the party. He misses out on family because he won't admit that it's his brother. He misses out on the honor of being a son. He misses out on the spiritual blessing of joy. He misses out on the maturity of following his father's example. He misses out on the promise of inheritance because all he sees is his work, not everything that's his. He misses out on the relationship with his dad because he's jealous, because he's got older brother syndrome, because he's thinking like, why am I here? Why am I in this? And he gives one of the worst speeches ever to his dad. He basically says, I've been slaving for you and working for you. And he basically is saying, the only reason I do this is because I have to. I don't even love you. How terrible is that? I mean, one was lost in miles and one was lost with a frozen heart right there next to his dad. I don't even love you. I mean, imagine, put some humanity on that. Imagine in a marriage saying, the only reason I don't cheat on you is because I can't. I mean, I have to stay faithful to you. Yeah, real fun date night that's going to be. That's what he's saying to his dad. I, I, I was a slave to you. And then he, he has no sympathy for his father's loss. He had to have heard his dad crying. Yeah. And he has no sympathy. He says, your son. And it's interesting. The brother disowns his brother. The dad never disowns his son. He's already like, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. He's dead to me. He's dead to me. And he, and he reveals his bad mind. He reveals his bad mind that, you know, here's what he was doing, and maybe that's what he was wishing he could be out doing. He's like, that's what he was doing with all your money. Tell you what, what keeps a lot of prodigals away is older brother syndrome. They're worried about us. They're worried about us. Will we really, those of us that have walked with God a long time, understand what God's all about, or will we develop the syndrome? And a lot of people do. A lot of people are like, well, who are you and why are you back and what's your deal? Do you know what kind of people come here? Not people like you. Yeah. I, I talk to people all the time. I'm like, you should come to our church. No, you'd never welcome people like me. No, we would. We really would. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, really, we would. Yeah. No, no. I, like, really? I have pastors on staff that have sinned worse than you. All right, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, and they're, before they were pastors, okay? Let's... Man. So let's be welcoming to everyone. Let's be the most welcoming. Let, let's never let the world out-welcome us. That's why we're so uptight or, or driven to have like parking lot people and 
greeters at the door and welcome center people and, and ushers and, and people serving in the cafe and all the first impressions because we want to say, hey, welcome here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's why we shake hands with people. That's why we don't have reserved seating. That's why we uh, honor our kids' visitors. That's why we give out welcome packets. We love and we say, welcome, welcome, welcome. We will not let the world out-welcome people to this place. And if you're part of First Impressions in any way, ushers, greeters, whatever, parking lot, anything, if I mentioned your area there, can you just stand right now here and at all of our campuses? Stand up. Go ahead, right here in the service. Stand up. Come on. We want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And by the looks of it, there's openings, all right? You can join them, all right? All right. Oh, man. He should have been a greeter. This guy should have been a greeter to his brother and he was a complainer. And here's the thing. If you want to know if you have older brother syndrome creeping in on you, here's the thing that is a dead giveaway. You are becoming a complainer. It's a dead giveaway. People that walk with God a long time that get this syndrome and start to develop it and don't understand all the blessings of living with God for a long time start to become complainers. Because I noticed this. The older brother complained about a few things. He complained about the music. I don't like the music. It's happy music. It's celebration music. I don't like the music. Can I tell you something? We get a lot of people that say, I don't like the music at River Valley. It's too upbeat. It's too contemporary. It's too techno. It's too this. It's too that. It's not the songs I know. I don't know it. I don't like it. I don't like it. (laughs) I want to tell you something. We have music that lifts up the name of Jesus and celebrates prodigals coming home. I love that prodigals coming home go, wow, I like this music. The other day I got a compliment from this guy. He goes, your music is better than any club I have been to. I was like, that is awesome. That's the type of church we are going to be. But he didn't like the music. Man, I love the music. He didn't like the expense. And we get people that complain about it. This, this brother, I don't like the expense. You killed the fattened calf. And we get people like, I can't believe what you're doing. How much did you spend on VBS or, or the family fun night trying to, what are you trying to do? Reach the neighborhood or something? <laughs> yeah, yep, that's what we're doing. I mean, all the missions talk and global teams and you're always raising money and shoeboxes for the Operation Christmas Child and groceries and this and Kingdom Builders, $2.5 million. What kind of church is this? I'm like, I would try to raise a hundred million if we could. I mean, I want to raise money and I want to plow it into reaching the lost. Let's go for it. Let's be generous. This guy doesn't like his brother. That's another symptom. If you have older brother syndrome, you don't like your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me say this. If your list is growing of people you can't be in life group with, you can't worship with, you can't serve with, you can't sit on the same row with, you don't want to greet in the lobby, you have older brother syndrome. You better shorten that list. I was thinking about, I have people on my list, I'll be honest with you, but it's not because I want them on the list, it's because they won't get off the list, all right? (laughs) I'm offering the olive branch. I'm like, I want to forgive you. I want to be right with you. Will you say, come on, let's be in relationship. And they won't, no, I'm not doing it. Okay, that's one thing. But if you got like, I'll never talk to them. That's that's older brother syndrome. Man, he doesn't even like his dad much. You know you have older brother syndrome when you don't even love your father that much. Because when he says, you didn't even give me a goat to have a party, he doesn't say, with you. He says, with my friends. 
You didn't even give me a goat to have a party with. My, I, I don't want you at the party. I want my friends at the party. Wow, how sad is that? And yet, this amazing father that represents God comes to his son. I mean, he could have said, hey, if he's outside, tough luck on him. He's back, let's do this. He goes outside. He requests and pleads for him to join him, which is amazing, which shows us how amazing our loving heavenly father is because as an earthly father, I know I'd have gone out there and said, you get in there, your brother is back. Don't you embarrass your mother and I put a smile. How many are with me? God's way more loving than you are, and I am. He reaffirms him. He says, my child. He reaffirms. He says, all I have is yours, and you've been with me. I'm with you. You're with me, which is the greatest blessing. Do not let the enemy steal this from you. Knowing who God is and what he's like is the most amazing blessing. The longer you've lived with God, the more you know who he is, the more you know what he's like. And it's an amazing blessing. And the best illustration I could come up with this is many of you are aware that before my mother was married, she was pregnant and gave that baby up for adoption. When I turned 18, I found out that I had a sister that I didn't know existed. And she came and looked for our family and found us. And I can remember the first night that I met her and I walked into her room and I gave her a hug and you know what her first question was? She said, what is mom like? And I thought, she doesn't know who mom is. She just met her, but she doesn't know mom. And I thought, what a joy that I know what mom's hugs feel like and her lullabies sound like, and I know what her meals taste like, and she was there to cheer me on in my games, and she was there to console me in my losses, and she was there when I faced life-threatening surgery at the age of 11. She was there comforting me and saying, I love you, and I'm proud of you, and, and I, she formed me and shaped me into the person that I am, and being in that relationship with them made me who I am, and my sister now knew who her mom was but didn't know her mom. I thought, what a blessing that I have in knowing her. Man, there is a blessing in knowing God and treasuring him. And, and the father here is saying, I, I'm with you. I love you more than what you do for me. I love you. We're in relationship. Don't let the enemy steal that from you. That's the greatest joy of knowing him and walking for a long time. And here's the thing. Once you know his heart, you will become his hands. Once you know God's heart, you will become his hands. And we know that the older brother did not know the father's heart because if he would have, he'd have said, Father, I don't need all this inheritance. I've got way too much. I've got more that I could spend in this lifetime. Why don't I invest it in the search party? Why don't we go looking for my brother, your son? Because he must be out of money. I mean, surely he's out of money. Surely he's down on his luck and we got to find him. Is it okay, Father, if I spend a little and really invest in going after what matters to you? Man. When you know his heart, you'll become his hands. And if you are God's hands, watch out for this. We're like, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna do, 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 do. But you remember, you gotta come back to the heart. You gotta come back. Don't become his hands and lose his heart. That's a warning too. Sometimes we're like, oh, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. You know? And then people will say this. They'll come to one service and they'll serve, but they won't come to worship. Like, you got an hour. If you want me to, I'm gonna serve or worship. Which one? All right, I'll serve, but then I'm out of here. Don't do that. Don't, if you do that too long, you will start to lose the heart of the Father. He says, you have total access to all my resources. All I have is yours. Don't think you're all that just because God has given you so much. 
because I thought about this. What did I do to become a son to my mother and father? I was born, I started breathing, and I started to consume their resources. <laughs> they said, son, <laughs> that's all you did to get in the family of God. You were born again, you started breathing the spirit of God, and you started consuming the father's resources. And he said, will you share? Will you be on the search party with me? Don't start thinking you're all that because all you did is you got born again, you started breathing the spirit, and now I've been blessing you with all these blessings. I'm your source, I'm giving you all this. Man, let's not let pride creep in. Let's guard against this syndrome. One benefit of this and one closing thought. There's so many benefits and we'll look at them again next week as we build on this series, but... One of them I couldn't just leave out. Victory over sin is an incredible benefit. The things that you get when you come into faith and you're with God a long time, he starts chiseling away things that used to hold you captive. And you look back over the years and you say, I'm no longer bound by that or that or that. I've been set free. That's amazing. I get to pass on to my family a greater starting point than I ever got. It's an incredible blessing. Don't miss that. Last thing is this, it's, it's the father's party. It's really not a party for the son. It's really the father's party. He's like, we had to celebrate. I mean, this is what I've been longing for, for him to come home. He's in relationship, it's my party. That's why the father's saying, it's my party. I'm excited. I had to celebrate. You're my son, he's my son, he's back. We're here together, I had to celebrate. It's his party and I pray we'll celebrate celebrate with him when every prodigal comes home, when every person joins us. God's our treasure. We'll love being with him. We'll want to be at his party. We'll thank him for everything he gives us. We'll say, God, it's a pleasure to serve you from my youth to my old age. God, I will serve you and I will enjoy the benefits and blessings of being near you. So Father, I just pray right now that we grab hold of those benefits. It's real. It's real. Knowing you is, is a treasure. It is the treasure. And so I pray that we'd grab hold of that. I pray that we'd never have older brother syndrome in our church. And I thank you, God, that it's so small. It's so small. I thank you for that. And I just pray that we'd, we'd rid it completely, that this would be a church that is all about saying we're going to make room for the next person. We're going to welcome the next person to find faith. We're going to love and welcome. We'll thank you for grace. We'll thank you for longevity. I pray over our teenagers right now, and I join with all the parents of teenagers right now. May they not be rebellious. May they not have to try the, the buzz of the world and hit the bottom but may they realize that with you there's joy that never ends. May, may they realize with you, like the psalmist said, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. This is where they need to stay. This is where they need to flourish. They need to have that testimony that says, I walked with you, I stayed with you. So I thank you for that. Lord, we welcome prodigals. And for those of us that are here, may we move forward in maturity, loving you and treasuring you above all else. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.